0: you're listening to a message from severe heights to learn more about us go to www.severeheights.org well it's good to see everyone here this morning um we're at the middle of fall break for knox county in alcoa but it is good to have you turn out and i think uh, on any given sunday we come into a room i think a lot of us carry some uh, baggage and and bad decisions that we've made perhaps in in the weeks in the weeks prior and um this church is here to remind all of us as we study God's word, uh, truth be told, we're all more sinful than we can imagine. Um, But thankfully, we're more loved than we could ever dream. Romans 5 verse 8, the Bible says this, but God demonstrated his own love toward us. And then even while we were yet sinners, meaning more sinful than we could ever imagine, Christ died for us. So God sent his son to to die for us. So, so more love than we could ever dream. If, if um, this is your first time here, um, one of the things that we talk about on Sundays just briefly is usually uh, em- emphasizing as a response to this, oftentimes as followers of Jesus we sing, and oftentimes as followers of Jesus we respond to that by serving and, and by giving. And Every Sunday we talk about giving, and this is an opportunity if you're a follower of Jesus and you consider this place your home, and your church home. This is a chance for you to give. On, on the back of the seats, there's a little QR code, in the back of the room there's boxes, and there's a next steps wall out there that you, that you could give. But by the way, if you're a guest, if you're first time, this is not for you. And we don't do this to uh, out of a response of guilt or shame, we do it just because of that statement being so true. And by the way, if you're it's your first time here, let me kind of let you in on a secret. Um, on Sundays, these services, they last right at an hour. Like from beginning to end, um, some of you are saying, well, why is he telling all of us that? Because I know what it's like to be a guy and to go to something. And uh, well, let's say you go to a, a kid's event, like uh, a chorus concert. What's the one thing that all dads want to know? When is this thing going to be over, right? Uh, so on behalf of all the dads that are here and you're visiting, we're thrilled you're here. Um, we'll have you out by noon, all right? Um, the, the other thing is I know there are people that are here that have been gone for a long time from church in general. I'm not even talking about here, like church in general. I want you to know if, the, you've, if you've said no to church for a while, this is a place, this is a local church that's going to continue to say yes to you. And in light of that, we're right in the middle of a sermon series through a book of the Bible where the Apostle Paul writes a letter to a, a church. Uh, the church is called Philippi—the Philippi, church is in the city of Philippi. The letter is called Philippians. And since we're right in the middle of the uh, series, some of you are, are going to be a little bit behind, but I'll try to catch you up a little bit. Um, today in particular, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. And to get practical, I want to begin with a question. Did your parents ever repeat themselves? Or as parents in the room, do any parents in the room ever Repeat yourself. Like, like, think back to your childhood or right now as you're parenting a kid, like, think back to it starts early. We say things again and again and again, over and over and over, like, don't stand on the table. Right? Don't stand on the table. And there's a reason for that. Like, it's, it's super important. we got to say it over and over when they're kids. Or how about this one? Don't jump on the bed. Like, like, like stop jumping on the bed. You're going to get hurt. And I remember as a kid, I got hurt, got stitches in my lip from jumping on the bed. Um, how about this one? First, eat your sandwich, and then you can eat your cookie. Like, like, like this is a thing that, that parents build in. Um, this one probably happened. I heard the toilet flush, but I didn't hear the water faucet. Uh, <laughs> you did not wash your hands. And so, parents emphasize that over and over. Like, there are things that all of us heard our parents say, or things that if you're a parent, you say over and over. Here's why. We tend to repeat the things that are most important to us. At the time, we're we're, we're reminding the kids, or parents have reminded us what is most important to us. That's why we don't grow tired of of telling a a 2-year-old, 3-year-old, 4-year-old not to run into the street. Like, we're going to repeat it as much as it takes. Or when your child turns 16, or when you turn 16, and you heard it from your parents, they will say over and over, do not. Check the phone. Do not look at the phone. If somebody calls or texts, you don't even need to see who it is. It's because we repeat the same things over and over that are most important to us. And in the section of Scripture that we're going to read today, uh, Paul is going to need to remind this church of some things he's told them again and again over and over. Uh, let's read and see what it says. Uh, doesn't bother. Him. Look, guys, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. Like no, no problem for me to tell you something that is not new. I'm going to say this uh, I'm going to rehearse it. I want you to review it I want to reinforce it and I want you to remember it. It's old material and whatever it is it's, it's got to be important and we have to wonder what's Paul going to tell them that he's already told them and this is what it's going to be Beware of the dog. And you see that and you're like, do what? Verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. He's not really talking about animals. He's talking about a group of people that snuck into this church in Philippi. And they started teaching things to those that were not yet Christians, or those that were new Christians, and it was causing the church to split apart. Now we got a problem with this statement when Paul makes it because it's kind of lost in translation for us today. Like when today a reference of dogs and you giggled. Our culture is this. Like my new dog, by the way, she's killer. Her um, name is Mabel. She is uh, about maybe ten months old, I think, somewhere in there. Um, don't tell anybody. She comes to work with me a couple days. It's our little secret. Um, some people get bothered by that. Uh, I don't care. All right? Um, <laughs> so she comes to work with me a little bit. But that's our idea of a dog, Like right? Your idea of a dog is like a pet. Like they chill with us. They ride with us. They hang with us, right? But in Paul's day, it was not that way. When Paul referenced dogs, they were wild animals. They would go in packs. They would attack and they would destroy things. That's the best picture I get. I know it looks like he's laughing, but, but it's angry. All right, just take it with me, all right? <laughs> so when he says beware of dogs, you got to be beware he's talking about a group of people that snuck in. And I want us to think about who he's talking about and what that group is teaching that is causing this church. Ready? And the Christians at this church to get confused and to potentially be ripped apart. Uh, Paul first showed up in the city of Philippi in 50 AD. He shows up with a group of buds, and they're going to tell everybody they can. They're they're like sailing from uh, city to city to tell people about Jesus. And so he's got Silas, he's got Timothy, and he's got a guy named Luke that's going to document everything. And when we studied at the beginning, you found out like he shows up in Philippi, and he goes edge of the town near the river, and he just starts telling people about Jesus, the good news, the gospel, like that Jesus died for our sins, and he was buried he rose from the dead, and we saw him, eyewitnesses. And, and all of a sudden in Philippi, when you read, uh, people start giving their life to Jesus. They surrender everything. The theme in, in the story is that they open their heart to God. God opened their heart to him, and all of a sudden they're opening their home to others. They get baptized, and then they're like, man, what can we do to do this beautiful thing and tell other people the good news? Well, what happens is if, after Paul starts the church in 50 AD, Um, He he heads off to another city, and when Paul moved on, somebody else moved in, and they're called Judaizers. These Judaizers have conversations with the new Christians and the not-yet Christians, and they're asking them, what have you guys embraced, and what do you know? And the people like Lydia that trusted Christ—remember the businesswoman who was saved? Uh, the young girl that was saved, the Roman soldier and their families that were saved. These people are saying to the Judaizers that snuck in, they're like, "What do you, what do you know about this whole Christianity thing?" And they're like, "Jesus, like, like we know about Jesus and the fact that he, he chose to come to earth and he died for our sins and then he was rose again. He rose again and was seen. And so we've trusted him as Lord and Savior." And the Judaizers would make statements like, "That's not enough." Like, like, that's not much. Like, we grew up in this thing, and we, we can tell you there's a whole lot more. Um, in other words, they would soon tell them it's not just Jesus, it's Jesus' hand. Like, like, we grew up in synagogue. We grew up understanding the law. We understand the ins and outs of what it takes. You guys don't know much about the Jewish background. Jesus was a Jew. And because of that, like, we believe it's so vitally important. If you're going to have faith in Jesus, you've got to embrace Many of the Jewish practices, like the Jewish dietary rules, uh, celebrate the Jewish holidays. And to the men in the room, you guys are going to have to have a Jewish surgery, right? They were like, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, it's Jesus and these things. In other words, the only way you'll measure up is if you're willing to keep up, because it's Jesus and. Otherwise, you guys have not done enough, the Judaizers would say to deserve or earn God. Needless to say, because of this group, there's a ton of confusion in the Church of Philippi. And so, they're wondering, like, how much do we have to do? They're asking questions that we may ask. How do we know if we measure up? How do we earn God's affection? How do I know if I've been accepted? And then, what really does matter? If you're in here today and you're asking those questions, perhaps it's because of some of the church stuff that you brought into this world. Say you grew up in it and then you disappeared. You're part of a denomination or some church that you just didn't understand. Like, like stand up, sit down, you're not sure when and how and where and went to a class just to get in and you were a member and you got sprinkled as an infant but you didn't have any choice in the matter. So, so what did that mean? And It's like all this stuff, so you just disappeared for a little while and, and then adulthood hits. Golly, and there's drama. Um, there's turmoil, bad decisions, and there's consequences, and you can't help but wonder the, those questions. Like, me and God haven't done well for a while. And, and now these, these certain group of people have come into the, these believers and close to believers at the church of Philippi, and they're like, you're not doing enough if it's just Jesus. It's Jesus and. And so that's why Paul said, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It's most important, so I'm going to tell it to you over and over and over. And what he's going to remind him is a beautiful picture of grace. You cannot behave your way into grace. By definition, grace is undeserved and unearned. It's a gift that's received by faith in Jesus that he died and rose again. And in faith, you receive this beautiful gift. Now today, for for us in this room, the reason this message is so important Um, I can't stress it enough. If you're new to this thing, you can't apply what you don't know. So we're going to put it on your radar so you know it. And for those that have been followers of Jesus for a while, myself included, if you've been at it for a while, you can't apply what you don't remember. And over time, all of us in this room start to kind of veer off a little bit, and we begin to think about good behavior, Jesus and... And that's what gets us in right standing to God. This is where it gets awesome because Paul is going to jump in. He's like, all right, if y'all want to play that game like these Judaizers that are telling you it's Jesus and, let me tell you about my life. And so Paul brings out his list of everything good that he's done. Verse 4, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, like I've done it. And then Paul unloads a laundry list. Here we go. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on law, I'm faultless. Like, guys, if y'all want to know, I've been killing it. Like, this is it. Now, to try to summarize kind of what he said in a few senses, Um, you're going to see a list that's here. I want to go through them on circumcision. like he's emphasizing the surgery that took place on the eighth day. Guess who didn't make that decision? Paul didn't. Mom and dad did that. So he's letting us know one of the joys of Jesus and he's playing devil's advocate. I grew up in a godly home, so that should help. Uh, The tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of Hebrews, like tribe of Benjamin, uh, 700 years before the days of Jesus, when he came to earth, there was Israel and it split into 12 tribes. Ten tribes went through a civil war, or there was a civil war. Ten tribes went to the north and rebelled hard, and two go to the south. One's name is Judah, and the other tribe is Benjamin, and Benjamin was super loyal. And Paul said, man, on behalf of my upbringing, we were on the right side of the split. Hebrew of Hebrews, like some in this room, perhaps you've studied some ancestry stuff, and when it comes to your ancestry, you're from... Like Great descendants, don't say Germany or uh, some European country or perhaps some African country, and they don't speak English. And I could ask you, okay, do you still speak that language? And you're like, no, I, I speak English because that was a long, long, long time ago. Paul's name before it became Paul was Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus was 500 miles from Israel. He lived in Tarsus. He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, I still speak the language. I'm in a culture that speaks Greek and uh, another language, but, but we still practice the customs of this. And not to mention, even further, when he got into his teenage years, he got mentored by a guy named Gamaliel that was like one of the best professors when it came to Jewish custom. And guess what? He didn't set that up. Mom and dad set that up. And then he says, I'm a Pharisee. Now, think about this this is before Jesus. He's like, um, it wasn't just about how well you behaved. It was a group that you belonged to, a club that you joined. The Pharisee literally meant set apart. Like the world was crazy, but we're not. We're going to be set apart. And they followed the rules to the T. They even fasted two days a week, Mondays and Thursdays. Now, Pharisees, like, like they get a bad rap because they did a lot of religious stuff and Jesus had to press in. But in their hard hearts, the, the intentions were good. And then he said, I'm half of zeal. Like, I was zealous. I persecuted church. Because as a Jew, before he became a Christian, he thought Christianity was bad for the Jew. So he did whatever it took to get rid of him. One of the first times we read about him is in Acts when he's holding the coats and they're stoning Stephen. And then he says this when it comes to the law of faultless. If you read Deuteronomy and Leviticus, there are 613 rules. Of which 248 are do this. And 365 are don't do this. Paul's like, man, I came to this. If I'm going to earn favor with God. Like those 365, that, that's don't do this every day of the year. I did it. And you got to ask the question, okay, what does this right here have to do with the room full of us? Well, really, let's talk about it because some of us have adopted a mindset where it's Jesus and. It happens all the time. Like, some of us in this room think, well, I grew up with godly parents, so maybe that works. Like, like it was Jesus and godly family. How, how about church membership? Some of you, like, you remember back when you were part of a church, like, you joined a church, and it's on your social media status. Like, it's up there in the description somewhere, right? Like, Presbyterian Methodist, Baptist, and you got Catholic, Episcopal, Lutheran, and you're like, Jesus and. Like people ask you about it, and you're like, you get that answer for the denomination. Or Bible knowledge, like you went to some class, and matter of fact, when we study the Bible, whether it's in here in a group setting, uh, you don't have to go to the table of contents. You don't even have to use your phone. You know the books. You know the stories, right? Bible knowledge. And then church involvement. Um, you can think about, man, I'm, I'm, I'm here all the time, and I serve and I give, and surely that and Jesus has like got me in right standing with God. And then how about this? The moral lifestyle. Like I'm well-behaved. I don't even do the stupid things. On behalf of this, I got a quick question on this list and Paul's list. What do all those have in common? They're all good. Like all these things are are good, like the the godly family, you know, the church upbringing, tied and affiliated to a church, and and like well-behaved, right? You know what all these have in common? They're all good, but Paul describes them. You ready for this? Paul describes them as garbage. <laughs> Sounds harsh, doesn't it? Well, let's listen to it himself. Philippians 2.8. I consider that garbage. It's trash. Some of you are sitting there thinking, surely he does not mean that. Actually, when you read The Greek text and the word that he uses for garbage, I can't even repeat it up here. It's so extreme dung, like it's the strongest version of it. He's like, that's what all that is. Some of you are thinking, why would anyone take all that good stuff and throw it in the trash? Over time, as years unfolded and Paul became more familiar with Jesus and grace, he made a discovery. It wasn't the bad stuff that was keeping him from God. Paul discovered the good stuff was keeping him from experiencing the grace of God. And he wanted to remind the church at Philippi, it has nothing to do with Jesus and. Because if you base it on your behavior, your achievements, your upbringing, your church membership. It will isolate you. It will alienate you. And you will never know how you stand with God. Guess what? Jesus taught this same thing over and over and over and over and over. Like he would say, consider the well-behaved guy and the well-behaved girl. Um, Consider the misbehaved guy and the misbehaved girl. Jesus taught that the well-behaved guy and girl We're in greater danger of missing God than the misbehaved. You say, what? Yeah, because the misbehaved, when they come to their senses and finally understand, they're like, man, my life is messed up. I need forgiveness. I need I need to be rescued from this life. And guess what happens to the well-behaved? We have a tendency of thinking, I don't need to be forgiven for much. My stuff's small. I don't know if I need to be rescued Jesus told stories about this all the time like like listen to this story out of the mouth of Jesus Luke 18 10 two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector so the Pharisee's the well-behaved guy remember did all the rules and the tax collector's the misbehaved guy Jesus is teaching an audience this Verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like all these other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like a misbehaving tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. That's that list that Paul was talking about on Jesus' hand. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven and he beat his chest. And he said this, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This guy understood the current condition of his heart. He knew there was a distance between he and God. And he knew there was some uncertainty. And it was because he was so messed up. And he acknowledged it. Verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you that this man the misbehaved, rather than the other, the well-behaved went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalt- exalted. A Quick question, do you think this applies to uh, this city and all the church people? And by the way, do you think it applies to some of us in this room like myself that sometimes over time we forget Grace brought us into this beautiful thing called a relationship with Jesus, and grace carries us through. Like all the, those good things, that's a response and an attitude, a celebration of, of receiving grace. Um, here, here's another story Jesus told, Luke 15. Um, Jesus tells a story about a dad and two sons. Many of you know this one. The youngest son was a misbehaving son, and the older son was well-behaved. The younger son's misbehaving goes to his dad and said, Dad, can I go ahead and get my inheritance? I know you're not close to passing away or anything, but I I just, I got to get away from this lifestyle. Dad hands him the inheritance, and the younger son goes off and does wild living, spends everything he's got, and then he's embarrassed because he's all-time low, and he's like, man, even the servants back at my dad's house had it better than this. I have, I've ruined my life. The Bible says he comes to his senses. Like he has this moment of clarity. He's like I'm gonna go back home and I'm gonna work on this speech that I'm gonna tell my dad like I'm sorry and I don't deserve this and I'll work for this and all those things and he practices the speech in, in Luke 15 all the way home he's like practicing it and when he gets to the family property the dad's there with open arms God doesn't even get to give the speech I'm telling you truth be told we are all more sinful than we can ever imagine but thankfully we're more loved than we could ever dream Jesus is telling this story so the father throws a party the son. Well, this is the misbehaving son that's, that's responded to grace, right? There's a well-behaved son because it's, that's just half the story. The well-behaved son is still out in the field and he's working because that's what well-behaving kids do. They work hard. He hears some noise about a party. He asks somebody else, well, what's going on down there? He said, oh, you didn't hear your, your younger brother, the wild one. He came home and your dad gave him some unconditional love and Grace, and threw a party. The older brother was ticked. So he boycotts the party. Well, the dad goes to find the older brother, the well-behaved brother, out in the field. And he talks to him about what's happened. He said, man, your your brother was dead. Now he's alive. And the story ends with the dad inviting the well-behaved older brother come and celebrate the misbehaved younger brother's return the story ends right there think about it one son expressed rebellion by breaking all the rules and the other son expressed rebellion while keeping all the rules jesus and part like he had it together i'm telling you both sons were wrong and both sons were loved. And both sons were invited to the party. Telling you, this is the pattern of Jesus' teaching. He lets us know it's not Jesus and. It's Jesus. It's this beautiful gift of grace. And in the same tone in which Jesus tells those stories over and over through the gospel accounts, Paul's writing to the church at Philippians and Paul's Reminding them and us, hey, both approaches, whether you're misbehaving or well-behaved, both approaches are equally wrong, but ready? Both approaches aren't equally dangerous. It's more dangerous to have your act together and to think that that's what causes God to love us. So why does he take the good stuff? Paul and throw it in the trash and say it's garbage. Same reason he takes the bad stuff and tosses it in the trash. The past is gone. Let me tell you why he really does it. Verse 8 I consider it garbage, and it continues, that I may gain Jesus, period. Verse 10 I want to know Jesus. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to that thing called the resurrection from the dead. (laughs) Verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this, not that I've arrived at the goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In other words, we got to let go of what's behind us in order to grab hold of what's ahead of us. Um, can't help but think of circus analogy. If you go to the circus and you watch Trapeze. It's crazy. I don't know how they do it. You're, you're swinging on this ring and grabbing this one. You ever notice, like, like if they're going to do the handoff, they, they, when they swing, they can't just keep holding on to this one and then grab this one. It's not going to go anywhere. You're like stuck. But what Paul's telling us from the story, all that good stuff, it, by God's beautiful grace, like, like raising a family that loved Jesus, and you know raising this great home, went to church, and all this stuff, Like Paul's like, I gotta let go of that because it's just grace. Or even all the bad stuff that I've done. Like some of you in this room, you got stuff that's like still all over. He's like, you gotta let go of that in order to take hold of this. And that's simply a relationship with Jesus alone. The fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter where you lean, we all lean somewhere, and to be candid with you, I probably lean in the stupid direction of where I can earn my favor into God. And this message is probably more for me than anybody else. truth of the matter is we are all born broken and only Jesus provides healing and grace is the glue. So those that have been in church a long time, stop trying to earn his favor. And to those who did some stupid stuff, me too. And that's the beauty of grace. Today with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just wanna press in. Um, If you're far from God, can I encourage you? You're one of those that said no to God for a long time, and all of a sudden you hear this story in Philippians 3. Jesus is saying yes to you. Could you just acknowledge what this story is all about? That Jesus Christ died for your sins, and he rose again. And surrendered life to him is the way to live. It's the promise of eternal life right where you're seated, how about you say exactly what that tax collector said? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if that was your prayer today, God has rescued you, changed you. It's the beginning of a beautiful, beautiful journey. Before you leave, sometime to the far right of the room at the front, there's a next steps room. Or if you leave in the foyer, there's a next steps wall. We've got people that are at both spots that love to talk to you about what's next. But also in this room, we've got a lot of church people. Paul pressed in hard on this, didn't he? And I'm glad he did. For some reason, it's easy for us to realize as Christians that grace saved us, but for some reason, we think it's a bunch of other things that keep us going. Grace, grace is a beautiful, beautiful gift. It's not Jesus, and we do all that other stuff out of our, our response and a celebration to grace. But it doesn't earn His favor any more than all the bad stuff that we've done. So, Father, today I want to thank you for grace. Thank you for everyone that's in this room, perhaps the baggage they brought or perhaps the achievements they brought. And you shed light on both of them today. I pray that Jesus would be our greatest treasure. And, God, we love you because you first loved us. And I pray this today in your name.